Welcome to episode 175 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Lugmule, and today my special guest is a friend of the program, bent on a bunch, all the talks on the California racing, Justin Chris Dine. Me and Justin go over three races from this past Saturday at Santa Anita. Those races are one, five, and nine. And some angles that we talk about are how much money does a horse have to take on the board for it to still be considered value for you? And also, in a wide-open maiden special weight event on the grass, how hard it is to take any horse below 2-1? to one. This is Red Board Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't for me while we do this for. We go back and forth. Won't do this no And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's edition of Redboard Rewind, someone I've had on the show many times, someone who I look to when it comes to talking Southern California racing. It's Justin Christine. Justin, how are you? Spencer, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to talk about the Santa Anita card. There's some really fun uh, handicapping puzzles that we can dive into and talk about from a betting perspective. Just nice to have Santa Anita back in the rotation. Like, There's always that little doldrum, I feel like, in the beginning of December and, you know, late November. And I just feel like, you know, it's like Christmas, Christmas morning, obviously is 25th, but Christmas morning for us is the 26th when we were able to see Santanita, you know, PPs and getting ready for, you know, that great opening day. It's always one of the nice things that, you know, for me being a soccer fan as well, I kind of just, you know, I wake up early in the morning, watch my soccer on boxing day, get ready for Santanita. Yeah. Yeah. I got my wife uh, staring daggers at me across the room on Christmas night because I'm handicapping Santa <laughs> yeah. for the 20, for the 26th. Uh, but it, yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's been, um, I don't know this year, it seemed like it was even more hyped up than, than the, uh, the previous couple of mm-hmm. years. It just seemed like, um, you know, people really were anticipating this, this, this opening Santa Anita card on the 26th. I mean, they put together a great card. And I, I can understand why everybody was excited about it. I think for me as well, you know, when, when you're looking through s- some new additions, you know, Dottori coming out, you know, just looking to see who is going to be so high up in those jockey standings. Everyone thinks of a name like Flavian Pratt. Flavian's not off to the best start. Oh, I got him at 6%, you know, one for 18 mm-hmm. going into going into the card and such like that. I, I feel that when jockeys who you think will be on top get out to a cold start, it really helps those odds and really helps you find those $10 horses when you realize, you know, okay, everyone's still betting this guy like he's hitting at 40, 40, 30%. He's hitting at less than 10. Let me bring that into my handicapping. And now I'm starting to find those $12 horses that are sneaking through the cracks. Yeah. And you can rest assured that, you know, Pratt will be uh, slowly climbing his way Mm -hmm. back towards the top of the leaderboard. And, uh, you know, you might just find a few uh, overlays on him in the next in the next couple of weeks. Um, and you mentioned Detoria; he, he was he rode lights out the first couple of cards, and and then JJ Hernandez also. Yes. He, he's man, he put some great rides on some horses. We'll talk about one uh, in in our pod, but but yeah, he's wow, he's become a a, a very 
very polished rider, both dirt and turf. I've been really impressed with what he's been doing. You know, with with a jockey colony now, that is that is fairly strong. I mean, it's not New York, but but you know, there's some some uh, top notch riders out here in I, Southern California. I can remember though, three or four years ago, where you know the jockey colony wasn't as strong. We we're having you know Elvin Roman coming in and like making a strong second. I believe, or maybe he even won a title mm-hmm. against Joel. And I feel like now that the, the they've kind of evened out and everyone's kind of where they're at, this colony just makes a lot more sense where you can kind of put them in a tier list of, you know, three or four guys at the top. Then your list of like, yeah. you know, six to 10 next. And then those riders that, you know, really need to find like the right horse or the right type of trainer or distance that they really excel at. Yeah. And then, you you know, you have some, some riders who do get lost in the shuffle, like, uh, you know, Kyle Frey, I think, I think he's a great yep. turf rider and, uh, he just, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't get the mounts that these other guys get, but, but when he does get a live mount, um, you know, and he doesn't really get bad, he certainly, he certainly can put on, put on a great ride in my opinion, especially on the turf. So there are those, those spots where you can catch some of these guys that are either lesser known or lower percentage um, when they get on a live horse, you can't be afraid to, you know, to get them. Cause usually you'll get them at um, uh, overlaid odds, especially if, if you have some big name riders for some big name trainers in, in the same race. I, I can't say how important it is when you're looking at, you know, obviously trainer and jockey is probably already overlooked at enough by the public, but when you can start to take your own stats and I'll use Eric Cancel back before he became, you know, a top two or three rider for Aqueduct even. This is more at the Belmont meet. And I think in the first four weeks of the Belmont meet from a couple of years ago, he hit the board with 10 to one shots, like four or more times throughout the week, like those first four weeks. And so all I started to do was I figured out where he was doing it the most. And I didn't play it blind, but I was playing Cancel horses underneath an exact is that I would never play regularly. And instead of doing maybe one horse on top and five underneath, I was playing cancel underneath and then three or four on top, just trying to make sure I didn't miss out on a key horse. And I was getting overlaid exact as $90 for a buck where just like cancels horses are going off at 15, 20 to one. His win percentage still looks like crap, but he's coming in so so strong with these. I think there was a jockey trainer combo with him where I think they were five for five hitting the board in the first month of the meet with 10 to one shots or better on the turf. It almost became like a blind bet for me. Yeah, and when you're when you're following it closely enough, or or day to day, or or um, you know at at least for eighty to ninety percent yeah. of the racing days, you get you start to get a feel for those guys who might not be registering wins, but are you know are are outperforming their odds. I remember um, in the in the Santa Anita Fall Meet, Edwin Maldonado was that guy, and he was landing you know, 10, 15, 20 to one shots in second and third, almost daily. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if you were onto that, um, you, you could, you could cash in some, some nice vertical plays based on, you know, him either not getting bet or, or him, you know, outperforming the horse, the, the expectations of the public. Well, let's try to help the public or just our listeners in general. Let's try to help them with some handicapping stuff here. I love the three races you picked out. We're going to go over races one, five, and nine in this podcast. So everyone get your PPs ready. Let's try and review some racing here. We're going to start with race number one from this past Saturday's card. 
It's the grade two. Joe Hernandez, six and a half down the hill. We all know how much I love races going down the hill. What do we like in this one, Justin? Yeah, aren't these the best races in in uh, in the in the country? I mean, these down the hill races at San Diego, they're they're so fun. Um, so, you know, with the scratch of the three super ocho, I I, I landed on Air Force Red, and I thought he was going to be the controlling speed. First of all, um, you know, I, I, let's go back up a second. I liked him when Super Ocho was was in the race um, because I didn't think he needed the lead. And I thought he could sit second behind Super Ocho and get a, a really nice trip. And then when the three scratched, I pictured him on a lone lead. I, I know there was an argument to be made that smooth like straight uh, might be on the lead. But, you know, oftentimes when when these uh, route horses, especially coming off like a mile and a 16th races and, and have never sprinted or haven't sprinted in a long time are, are turning back now, you know, they just, it just dulls their speed a little bit. And I was pretty confident that the number six air force red would, um, be on the lead. And, you know, with Hernandez riding the way he was and with this horse loving the downhill turf course and, um, knowing that he was going to get the lead. And every time he got the lead, he was ultra tough to pass, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and then add to that, the fact that he was fresh um, and that I was pretty confident that, he, you know, he was going to be on the lonely, but he didn't, if, if smooth like straight was committed to, to, you know, they were going to hustle him out of there to try to get the lead. Then, I was okay because I knew Air Force Red did not need the lead. Um, I knew he could probably sit as well. So um, he was my key horse. I I played a win bet on him. And then I also wanted to use um, the five, what makes Sammy run. Um, You know, for Glatt, he was just ultra consistent. And, um, you know, I I knew as a a four-year-old, um, late season four-year-old, you know, it, it looked like he was getting really good for Glatt. And um, so I, I wanted to use him in the exact, and then um, hit the road was, was the other one. I, I had some mixed feelings on him. Ultimately I settled on the fact that they, Blacker had um, intended to try to win this race. Um, I, I'd originally thought that maybe this was just going to be a prep, you know, him being off for, uh, you know, almost, almost a, a full year. Um, but, but they, they landed to Tory and they put the blinkers on to try to sharpen his speed, uh, cutting back. And so uh, there was enough signal there for me to think that their intent was to try to win this race, um, rather than just have it be a flat out prep. So, um, you know, and, and I think he, along with smooth, like straight was where, where the, the class of the race, but, um, I was against smooth like straight in this race. Um, I, I think it, I, th- I thought it was a stab by the connections, you know, trying to cut him back, looking for something to try to wake him up. Um, so I, I was against him in this race. So for me, it was the six air force red. I played a win bet on him and then I played him in the, the exacta with, um, the five, uh, what makes Sammy run and the eight hit the road. There's always that old adage where don't take a favor doing something for the first time. Smooth Lake Straight never been this distance before. I think you make such a good point, though, too. Like, 
at what odds is this horse really bettable? I don't think he's bettable at two to one. Now he's going sub two to one. I think this is how you get better at this game is if Smooth Lake Street wins this race, chalk it up to your that you just were wrong. But I think this is the type of horse that you just have to try and beat. I thought what makes Sammy run being three for three at, the, at this course, one for one at the distance makes a lot of sense. Joe Bravo for me is a very underrated turf rider. He's actually one of my dad's least here at riders. I, I love Joe Bravo. The, the other one I was also using was Gregorian champ with Pratt who yes was cold, but I thought this one hitting the board so much lately. I definitely wanted to use underneath and exotics and for how much of a Mike Smith hater I am, I lane away for me was my top choice. I just thought the two stake races, second two and three back looks so good. Runs in the optional 80, still gets that, you know, win by a neck. But I, I think that is more of just like the maintenance, like, okay, let's keep them going. And then they end up here. I, I thought Laneway's price at, you know, five to one was pr- pretty gross. And Gregorian Champ being seven to one made the, made the most sense. What makes Sammy run going off at sub four to one? He ended up being the one I, I decided to uh, keep out of my out of my play. So it, for me, it was Laneway and Gregorian Champ. Uh, double dutching to see if we can get it done. That was for me. It's Air Force Red for Justin. Let's see who gets it done in the grade two right now. Air Force Red is very quick away from there and opens up a couple of lengths in the first few jumps. Smooth like straight, flashing his customary early zip and what makes Sammy run as close up in the early going. They're joined by Lane Way, who moves up to take third. Sigaloso fifth in the opening furlong. Gregorian Chance settles in mid-pack just in front of Hit the Road. They're followed by Iredeo, front run the Fed, and Kiss Today Goodbye is at the back of the field. Continuing down the hill with Air Force Red, the target pursued by Smooth Like Straight, and Lane Way is in the thick of it at the rail third, just about two or three lengths off the lead. Sigaloso is next. What makes Sammy run with five lengths to make up? Hit the road is next. Has seven to come, followed at the rail by Gregorian Chant, who starts to pick up some momentum. They turn for home, and it's still Air Force Red with a two-length lead. Laneway angles out to try and run him down in second. It's another three lengths back to the rest. It's still Air Force Red digging in tenaciously on the front end, and Air Force Red and Juan Hernandez take them coast-to-coast in the Joe Hernandez. Laneway, Gregorian Chant, Followed by smooth like straight and a late bid from Iredale. And Air Force Red gets it done. 99 the winning buyer. Looking at a good 1640 for a winning mutual. Nice win bet. Nice win on top. Uh I run second and third. So I think we pretty much uh you know chalked that race up as a smash job for us finding the right type of contenders in this race. Yeah. And I wish I would have talked to you before the race because I blew the exacta. Um, I didn't include Lane Way or Gregorian Chan. You know, I thought Lane Way was a contender, but I, I, I didn't want to spread too uh, too much in the exacta. Um, and so I tried to narrow it down to what makes Sammy run, who just ran a, a sort of a dull sixth. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't know if there was any real excuse there. And then hit the road was just awful. Yeah. Uh, I did. I haven't read anything about what might have been the cause of, of his no show, uh, but he, you know, he didn't, he didn't lift a hoof. So yeah. Yeah. The, the, the wind bet was good. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a lesson I have to remind myself sometimes, you know, you're playing exact as tries and you're playing these horizontals, but, but you have to bet these horses to win as well. 
Um, I was licking my chops with about four minutes to go. Uh, you know, Air Force Red was on the board at 11 to one, and then he clicks down to nine and then eight. And then going into the gate, he was seven, which in my mind was, was still uh, plenty of value to, to bet. Um, and, and you made a great point, Spencer, about smooth like straight. Like, you know, in what world is eight to five good value on this horse? You know, like, like it, it's all about what, what they go off at. Now, if he goes off at six to one, then, you know, then maybe I take a look at him for the exacto or, or, or part of the try, even though I didn't really love him. But, but at eight to five, he, you know, for me, and sounds like for you too, he was, you know, he was an absolute toss. Uh, I feel like as well, when you're looking at this type of course, six and a half is so different from everything else in the country. When you're trying it for the first time against horses that are, you know, doing so well over this type of turf course. I mean, fourth to everyone might be like, Oh, first try over six and a half. This isn't the worst race in the world. The fact that Gregorian chant who just keeps on hitting the boards, beating a horse like this. I just, they, they, I'm hoping that this is more of like just the maintenance thing. They stretch him back out next time. He goes right back to being normal, smooth, like straight. But looking at the three horses that beat him uh, and you look at the price difference. I mean, this is a race where I just feel like people thought the class of a horse that could route would be able to sprint going down the hill, which is a completely different animal than we're usually used to. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the price on Gregorian chant was a little surprising. He was higher than I thought he would be. And I, I guess people just maybe uh, had given up on him a little bit, you know, but um, you know, for, for as a, as an exact, a trifecta player, he was, a, he was a, he made total sense at the price that 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 he was, and uh, and that was a that was a good sniff by you because I, I'd been on him over the summer a couple times, and and I was sort of uh, I was sort of with with the public a little bit. I thought maybe he was just uh, getting a little long in the tooth and and wasn't you know didn't have the the desire to to win anymore. But um, you know you, you threw him in the trifecta, you got rewarded with him, with a healthy seven to one seven to one price. Let's move on to the next race. Race number five, maiden special weight, six furlongs on the turf. Going right back to this turf racing. Man, what an absolute just cluster of horses that either may like the turf or may not like. The number nine, uh, Les Smooth, the Great Britain import, had, you know, obviously overseas races, but I'm not, again, just like Smooth Lake Straight, you know, race this wide open taking sub two to one on a horse in a race where there was just any possibility could happen. I thought phosphorus, the French bread, Michael McCarthy coming from over from the Ben Colbrook barn. Mm-hmm. Listen, this is a two year old race. The horse did not look good. First time out at Keeneland. Now they come here three twelve in the Tomlinson marker on the breeding city of light sold for 200 K. This horse supposed to have some ability. They're throwing the blinkers on 21 to one bet this one across the board instead of, you know, cashing what could be whatever $5 for the favorite. Let me try and get a little bit of value here. And even if I run second or third, I'm, I'm, you know, the ROI will be higher for this one being that at 21 to one. What are we like in this one? Um, well, I, I like midnight taxes. Okay. I, I thought that from the rail, um, he was going to be sent and I thought he was fast enough to make the lead. And it turned out that the price I got was, was good enough for me to 
make a win bet yep. on that horse. I mean, he got, you know, what was he, he was eight to one morning line and, and he ended up going off at seven to one. That was, that was plenty of, of uh, plenty enough for me to, to make a win bet on, on him. And Mullins has been really good on the turf. Um, and so <clears throat> I thought that he made a lot of sense. Um, and then the other ones I, I looked at uh, were the 10, you know, the, the 10, was supposed to be able to run a little bit uh, mm-hmm. from the John Sadler barn, this, this gun runner Colt. And uh, although Sadler doesn't win, he's not known to crank his firsters up. You know, this horse had been working well enough. And I thought, you know, I've been trying to, I've been chasing this three horse, this uh, Valiancer. And he just keeps sort of running the same race. And, and, and he's always around that mid range price. And, and, the public keeps keeps betting him a little bit. He's three to one, and then he was four to one, and he's six to one. In this race, he ended off he ended up eight uh, going off at yeah eight to one. And so, um, I, I liked him a little bit. I, I wasn't sure on the cutback if 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 he'd be close enough to to make a dent in the race, but um, he he was one that I wanted to play underneath of. Uh, midnight taxes as well so it was midnight taxes for me uh over top of balancer and and uh sir pistolero all that for justin for me just gonna try and get phosphorence the french bread in to the top three try to double my money let's see who gets it done on this main special weight right now they're off tardy beginning there for tap it down who's far back in the early stages it's a quick one for Phosphorescence in the center, leading it by just ahead, with Nielsen pressing through the early stages and Johannes coming through, three virtually across the course. Midnight Taxes is fourth, followed by Sir Pistolero now taking the fourth spot. It's a gap of a half dozen or so to the next flight, headed by Valiancer inside Don't Test Your Luck. Four more to Lasmo on the outside of Duran. Then it's a distance back to Street Mogul and tap it down. Can't get much more strung out than this as they come to the quarter pole. It's Johannes in front, now pulling clear a length and a half. Phosphorescent second, Midnight Taxes is coming through along the inside to get into the thick of things as they straighten up for home. It's Johannes who has built up a five-length lead. In the center of the course, Valiancer is finishing with interest. Phosphorescent, Midnight Taxes, but it's lights out for Johannes. Johannes sparkles home, striding out to win by about nine lengths. What an effort. Second goes to Valiancer in a photo over Phosphorescence. Then it was Midnight Taxes, and the photo to complete the super high five involved Duran and Don't Test Your Luck. And Johannes gets it done, paying a nice 960. The buyer comes back in 88. Second place was only a 63, and that tells you all you need to know when this one wins by nine. I, I think an interesting point in this race, though, is yes, this one won by nine. Valiancer running second at eight to one. My horse running at third by a neck at 21 to one makes 1140. Almost double my money off a $2 across the board bet. Uh, for me, the key in this race is the fact that yes, the winner won by nine, but the race within the race for second and third, second was second by a neck. Then we have third by a neck, fourth by one length and fifth and sixth by both by heads. If you take out the winner, this race would have been six horses almost across the board. 
Yeah, I don't think it was the strongest field, and you know you don't normally see this this margin of victory on on the turf, and so that gives us a little bit of a, a clue as as to the 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 lack of quality in this field. And Johannes was no secret in this race. You know, he 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 got bet like he could run on the turf, and he ran on the turf. Um, no, you know, nobody was getting close to close to him this day. Midnight taxes, I thought, got got a really hesitant ride by Barrios. He ran up inside when they crossed over the dirt, and it looked like he could have challenged for the lead. And then he he was grabbed and and. Barros was in, in no man's land and really didn't know what to do. And he, he took him back and, and he just ran a mediocre fourth, but I, I would tab him um, next, next out. And, and especially if, if there wasn't a, a whole bunch of speed in the race, cause he's got much more speed than he's shown in this race. And, you know, he's, he'd be a gate to wire threat next time. And then I think the other one you won out of this race is Sir Pistolero. He got, he got boxed a little bit. And then he uh, he tried to dive to the rail and got got caught again. Um, so I think he's much better than that running line or the sixth place finish suggests. And uh, and then as 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 the favorite, he was just he was just flat as you alluded yeah. to earlier. You know he was at eight to five, one that you you just had to play against, no matter you know what the buzz was on him. You just you you had to you had to take a stand against him at the, at the price that he ended up going off at. I, I think my idea going forward with this type of race is you hope that a lot of these come back to face each other with another newbie that comes in like Johannes, like you already kind of know what the rest of, you know, two through eight are going to look like. And if the newbie goes off again, at like this weird five to two, four to one price doesn't have to win my nine, but that's eight lengths of difference there that that one can make up to, uh, to get the job done. I feel like you look, you're going to look forward to these turf races here where a turf sprint pops up with five or six of these in this race again, and you try and find the newbie that can get it done here, just like Johannes did here in the fifth. Let's move on to the last race of our podcast. We're going to go all the way to the outside. Race number nine, N1X allowance. Guess what? Six furlongs on the turf. All turf racing on this pod today. Uh, what I noticed from a lot of the runners in this race were that a lot of them were coming out of the state bird ranks. I went with two what I thought were going to end up being long shots, but Code Duello with your man Kyle Fry, Craig DeLassie. I thought the race two back was just really, really nice. Third by one and a half, but had a win at Santa Anita. A couple of races back on June 3rd, going six. Rispoli was aboard. 10 to one in a race like this where a bunch of different horses are coming in, but he has a good race over the track at the distance. Definitely wanted to include that one. Square Cats, my other long shot, Hector Barrios, Brian Corner. This one coming out of all these state bred races, but the race two back was up on somewhat of a slow pace, but I thought the 84 was good enough to get it done here. And, you know, two for two hitting the board at this distance, just wanted to kind of use two long shots here in my, uh, in my wind Dutch. I'm with you on, on the three code duello. You know, I thought that he projected as the speed of the race. Uh, if, if you, you know, if you go back to, may and june at santa anita he was off the pace and he ran well off the pace and then he put the blinkers on and you know it seemed like it really sharpened his speed and i couldn't find all that much early speed in this race uh and so i thought he would be on a moderate pace and i was really attracted to that morning line um i i, I suspected he would get bet a little bit from 10 to 1 um 
but I didn't, I didn't think he'd be bet all the way down to nine to two, you know? So there's two ways to look at that. It's like, uh, it gives, you know, on one hand, it gives you a little more confidence because, you know, at these tracks like, um, Naira and Southern California and Kentucky, when some of these horses get, get bet, like get bet in half, not, not, not low enough that they're ridiculously over bet, but they're, they're obviously taking some steam, you know, it's, it can give you some confidence, but at the same time, you know, you see that morning line of 10 to one. And while you knew it wouldn't hold, I was also hoping for seven or eight to one. Uh, so then you have to make a choice as a better, you know, it was nine to two enough value for me to get involved. And um, it was for me to get involved. Um, and I wanted him with the four creative peak who had a horrendous trip last time. Um, and who was 12 to one. I expected him to get bet and he went the opposite way. So, so here, here's, here's the dichotomous situation where, you know, um, creative peak was completely dead on the board. I thought he would take some play. I thought he would be a steam horse and he went the, the exact opposite direction. I chose to stick with him. And then I also wanted the 11, I'll stand taller to, I didn't think he could win, but I wanted him to fill out the exact, uh, and I wanted to try to, uh, maybe key him at the bottom of, of the uh, try because he's ultra consistent and he had numbers that, that, uh, that, that fit. And if he was anywhere near his 12 to one, I thought, I thought he was value, but yeah, code Duello, um, you know, because of the, the projected trip he was going to get, I thought he was a, he was a, a, a live, a live horse at, at 10 to one morning line. I've come to a realization now just with Warren line makers general. Listen, I've, I've had David Aragon on my show. I think David's the best in the business out in Southern California. I believe it's still white. John, John, John white, white, maybe. Yeah. I think John white um, still does. And there's a couple of them that I, that I respect like that. When my horse gets cut in half, I think for me still the public, I'm not saying it's better than the morning line makers, but the public at the end of the day, are going to make a line that just makes the most sense. And your job at the end of the day is, is it enough value? I thought yep. Code Duello was the right type of steam where seven, eight, six is probably not enough. Once you get cut in half, now I think there's some real hard steam on this horse. And when I look at everything else in the race, the favorite is also only seven to two. So, I mean, it wasn't like we were facing a two to one shot that everyone really liked. This race was very wide open. This one only goes off two clicks higher than the favorite. I thought Code Duello here was just, if you actually break it down and think about how the public is betting the race, no one really took more of a shot than this one. So for me, Code Duello just made the most sense. That's going to be a consensus pick for this final race. Let's see if they can get done right now. They're off in the 2022 finale. Verat is hustled out for the early lead. Law Abiding has plenty of early gas and is rushed up too. And Commander Kai is in between them quicker than both and takes the lead. Square Cat, fourth in the early going, just three lengths off the leaders, followed by Exceed Speed Limit, who's in fifth. It's a length and a half to do it for Andrew, who's on the outside of Creative Peak with less than a half mile to go. Two more lengths, Love Sick Blues on the inside of Altruist, who is now about 10 lengths off the leader. Outside of them, I'll Stand Taller is next, 
And then it's another three lengths back to Code Duello at the back of the field. They're coming toward the quarter pole. Commander Kai on the outside and Law Abiding continue to do battle up top. Virat, who broke well, had a beautiful trip and is now coming after them in the center of the course. A furlong from the finish. Law Abiding narrowly. Center of the course. Virat far outside. Do it for Andrew. Coming alive in the late stages. And do it for Andrew. Will come after Virat late. Virat has a two-length lead. And from the clouds, here's Code Duello. Duello, Code Duello, perfect. And Code Duello does get it done. 11.20, the winning mutual. The buyer came back a very solid 82. Did decline a little bit from that last race, but I mean, when you look at it, everyone else did pretty much as well. I, I, I want to ask you this because it always feels weird because I've done it too. You picked the winner, but the other two horses you liked finished second, last, and last. It, it's almost like a weird feeling like, yes, you handicapped the race right, but the other half was just, like, confusing, I guess. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the point that you have to, you know, the horse that you key, the horse that you like, if you're playing verticals, you also have to win that, that horse. Yeah. Because it takes some of the sting out of missing the exact, like, I did there. And, you know, that happens a lot to me more often than I, you know, than, than I they care to remember. You know, and so I, I have to whether it's verticals or, or in horizontals, you know, your, the horses, your A horses or your singles, however you choose to play these horizontals, you have to win bet on them. You just, you have to. And um, it, it, you know, it, it sustains your bankroll to, tr to, you know, to take a shot at, at the next race or the next card. It, you know, it's just, I think, I believe it's really important to do that. And, it, it should be noted that the Coduello ran exactly the opposite of how I yes. envisioned the race happening. I mean, he was 10th turning for home and granted the race fell apart and, and he ran up um, and, and nailed Verat on the wire who, by the way, ran very well. He's one that you won out of this race and he was on a fast pace that fell apart and um he got he got that was a yeah he got nailed at the wire that's a tough beat if you had him and uh you know so sometimes you're on the right horse and it shakes out completely the opposite from from what you thought and so you know was it was it a misread on the horse was it just a change of tactics by the um by the you know by the connections and it almost feels like you shouldn't have won the race because the, the way you envisioned it didn't happen that way at all. You know, I, I mean, you, you still get the money in your pocket, but it's like, whoa, I mean, there must've been their intention, but I was way off with, with my, my race shape and, and the way I, I projected to pace the pace to unfold. I, I feel like as, as well, listen, it's always better to be lucky than good. I've, I've said that for, for a lot of times. When you look at this race from a class standpoint as well, though, 88's the buyer par. You take five off based on James, James Quinn's record to try and get the more, you know, contender types in there. That becomes an 83. The winner only ran 82 in this race. So, I mean, going forward, kind of what we talked about in the last race, I want the newcomers coming into this race, the maiden winners, like you said, you know, when you look at the second place horse for at maiden winner, almost wins this race at 12 to one. You're going to get the same type of horse, I think, against others like this coming again in the next race.
don't let the horses, because they're a little bit off the buyer par, scare you away, especially at good prices like double-digit horses like Ferrat was. Yeah, and I think it's always important to look at that that buyer par because it's a it's a way to eliminate non-contenders. I mean, yes. and it's also, you know, if if you go back five, six, seven races and you notice that horse ran par or close to par at similar conditions, you know, to 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 how the race is written today, then you have to you have to count that horse in, you know, and you have to you have to go back to to his most recent races and, and see if you can make a case for, for why he was running lower numbers, you know, but I think that's a great starting point for trying to um, eliminate horses or uh, keep contenders in the mix, especially for higher level allowance races and claiming races where these horses are ultra consistent. You know, it's it's a it's a great way for people that are just starting out, or for anybody really. I, I use them still to to separate contenders from pretenders. I, I love everything you've said there. I think this podcast especially has a lot of different ideas when it comes to turf racing, and I think when you break down these three races, there's a lot going forward in the coming weeks for Santania as well, where I think you can pull some stuff out of this podcast. But that is all the time that we have for tonight's podcast. I do want to thank. My special guest, Justin Christine, for coming on. Justin, where can people talk all things horse racing with you on uh, on the good old Twitter machine? Uh, at teacher JJC Spencer, and uh, I'm I'm on there. And uh, hit me up, and uh, I'd love to talk horse racing. Um, and uh, I th- thanks for having me on, Spencer. This is always a blast. I have a great time, and always it's always instructional to go back afterwards and look at these races, watch the replays, look at the charts and, and glean some information that you can use to, to make a better two going forward. I had a great time as well. Looking forward to have you on in the future. I want to thank all the fans who have been listening to this podcast and the rest of the podcast on the, the money media network. Also want to thank my special guest, Justin Christine for coming on talking all things Santinita racing with me. This show has been a production of the money media. In the Money Media's present is Peter Thomas Fornetel. Our Chief Creative Officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media Business Manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. We will see you next time.